Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Matt Summerfield. Matt, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Yeah, well, it's great to be with you guys. Um, So my name, yeah, is Matt Summerfield. I uh, live in kind of the Hertfordshire area. And for the last 10 years, I've been the senior leader of Zio Church. Zio is a Greek word from the New Testament, which means passion. And uh, my dad planted our church 40 years ago, but I took over 10 years ago as the senior leader. And so, um, so yeah, so I've been doing that alongside some itinerant ministry of speaking, training, coaching around leadership and discipleship. I remember you taking over that church and it feels like it was just yesterday. So the Definitely. fact that you said 10 years is, is scary. Um, for people that listen to this, they say, I like Matt. I want to find out more. I want to see what he's doing. Uh, where can they do that? So, yeah, obviously they can find me through the church, which is zeochurch.com. Um, I also have a, a website for my own stuff, which is Stretch Your Life, but it's stretch dash, as in the minus sign, your-life.com. And that's my own that's my own website where people can kind of connect with me through that. And I'm on Instagram at literally at Matt Summerfield, M-A-T-T-S-U-M-M-E-R-F-I-E-L-D. So follow me and connect with me on Insta as well. Okay, so all of those links will be in the description box. So if you're listening, they're there ready for you to go and check out. Great, thank you. So before we dive in, why stretch your life? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, actually. I, I Over the years, probably over the last 10 or 20 years, I've been involved in mentoring and discipling both leaders and young people. And I, and I just very naturally would find myself in conversation with people, asking them the question, what's your next stretch? You know, that, uh, you know, when Jesus invites us to follow him, it suggests that he's going somewhere, he's on the move. And, and I think, you know, we all know that the whole purpose of discipleship is that we're becoming like him, that we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so there's never a sense that we should be settled, that we should always be growing, we should always be stretching, we should be becoming more like him and his work in and through our lives. And so so I guess Stretch Your Life is, is about recognizing that, you know, what's your leadership stretch, what's your faith stretch, what's your life stretch that we, that we keep, as I would say, going and growing um, in, our, in our life, faith and leadership. Well, I know from our personal experience, you've definitely caused us to stretch over the years. When we've met with you, we've always left being stretched. So I know those aren't just words, but they're a living reality for anybody who comes into your life. So, Matt, you messaged and said the Lord spoke to you in 2000. Mm. Um, Can you talk to us about what that was that he spoke to you about and the journey that it's taken you? Yeah, so so I'm 51 years old in, in this particular moment, and 34 years ago, when I was 17 years old, I got involved in the youth ministry of our church, and 
Um, I, I would say at that time I, I had a spectating faith. I would uh, turn up at church. My dad was the pastor, but I wasn't really engaged. At the age of 17, though, I was invited to work missionally with young people in our community. And I would say that's where I moved from a spectating to a participating faith. My faith really came alive and God broke my heart for young people and children. And I kind of knew at that point that I would spend the rest of my life um, cheering on children and young people particularly to come to know Jesus and embrace his crazy adventure. But I thought I would do that as a volunteer in a local church and, and then I would work in industry as an IT guy. That was my kind of thought and profession I thought I would step into. So in 2000, uh, it was my great surprise that I ended up the chief executive of a national youth and children's charity that was 94 years old called Crusaders in the UK. And uh, when I first joined, so now I had this privilege of being able to not just shape young people and impact young people in our local church, but actually be a voice to hundreds of churches across the country to inspire and equip them for youth uh, and children's discipleship. And basically what happened, I joined them in May 2000, and we began this six-month process of strategic review and listening to God. And I remember... Um, both of you, that uh, I was sitting in my office one evening in November. I just printed off this, this big strategic document and I asked the Lord, where does this strategy of Crusaders fit within your much bigger agenda to see a generation of, of children and young people come to know Jesus? And it was one of those moments when I just felt I had these two nudges. The Holy Spirit reminded me of two passages of scripture. And the first was in Judges 2 verse 10, where it talks about a whole generation after Joshua who grew up and who did not know God and all the good things that he's done. And it's a shocking passage, you know, because you just feel like as good a leader as Joshua and his generation were, they dropped the baton. How, how is it possible that a generation of young people um just didn't know the amazing exodus from, from Egypt, the manna from heaven, the parting of the Red Sea, all the things that God had done. And I felt like prophetically God was saying, you know, that word really spoke, and remember this is 20 years ago now, over the generation of, of children, young people in the UK, that was our focus, that, that most of uh, the rising generation in the UK were, were not rejecting God out of rebellion, but out of ignorance, they just didn't know. And, um, and, and so God really started to speak to me about this whole challenge of reaching a generation, not just an age group, but actually a whole generation and the responsibility that every generation has to the generations yet to come, that God is a generational God. Mm. And so the second passage was um, Psalm 78, which particularly verses four, six and seven have become like my, my life, vision, youth work, you know, words which, which speak about God saying, you know, we will, you know, we will make sure that we tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the, of the Lord, you know, and pass it on to the next generation, even the children not yet born, that they in turn will tell their children. And, and verse seven that talks about that, that they will set their hope on God, like the vision of God, they'll set their hope on him, remembering his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. And, and just felt like, you know, this is what we're called to do. We are called to invest in the generation and help that generation invest in the generations and generations. And, and I was just captivated by this vision that basically 
that what was going on, even in my local work, which I, where I was still a volunteer, and I'm still a volunteer youth leader in my local church today, wasn't even just about that week. And it wasn't even just about that generation, those 13 year olds that I'm working with, but actually by being able to see them come to know Jesus and grow in Jesus, we were impacting the lives of their unborn children because they would pass on hopefully a kingdom worldview um, to their kids who could go on to do the same. So, so I think that that was that's that was basically what happened. Blew my mind, got me to thinking about baton carrying, generational to generational discipleship. And in fact, it was out of that I think a few years later that we met, hmm. and that I, I met you guys. And of course, your mission and vision really resonated with me. So, long answer, but but there you go. No, it's yeah. good. You um you just said something there that maybe would have slipped under the radar, but that we don't hear or see very often. Um, in fact, I only know of one and have heard of another pastor that do it. So you're the pastor of the church, but you just said you still volunteer with the youth. Yeah. Now that yeah. is extremely unusual, uh, very, very rare. Can you talk a bit about that? Why do you volunteer with the youth, even though you're the senior pastor? Or maybe especially as you're the senior pastor. <laughs> well, I would say there's a few reasons for that. It's a good question. So I think the first is, my, if you came to my church, those who've been around for a while would joke that basically I am a youth leader faking it as a senior pastor of a church. <laughs> that, that you know, I, I'm an evangelist. I want to see everyone come to know Jesus, every age group, every life stage. I really do. That's my heart's desire. But from that age of 17... There's no doubt that God has captivated me, as I said, with a vision to see children and young people come to know Christ. And I think in my work in Urban Saints, which was what eventually Crusaders became Urban Saints, and now in the leadership of the local church, as the senior leader, I have a responsibility to encourage the church and encourage the young people and children of our church to, to find their voice, find their space, be released into all that God's created them to do. So the youth, we do have a full-time youth and children's pastor and they report to me directly because I wanna make sure that, you know, I can cheer them on and encourage them. But um, but I, I think like, you, you gotta walk the talk. And, and, if, and if we're saying as a church, you know, we are committed to reach everybody, but, and we say this when people join Zia, we say, look, we are for everybody. You know, we've got a seniors work and a men's ministry and all those things, but we say, and this is exactly how I describe it, we will disproportionately invest time, money, and energy in the under 30s. So that's children, young people, and young adults, because we just believe they're, they're the neglected and forgotten generation. And, and I think you've got to walk the talk, you know, if that's, you know, if if I'm if I'm saying that I've got to be involved myself, and and the reality is, like I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it. So I have um, two or three lads in the, in our church who I directly disciple and spend time with, um, and then I'm involved with my wife and the youth pastor and a couple of other people in a in a particular intentional discipleship and leadership program that we run with our young people that sits alongside all the other youth stuff that they run but but i i want our young people to know that i love them i'm for them i believe in them and and to be basically saying come on like your time is now it's not in 10 years time or 20 years time you know what would it take for you to discover this amazing adventure that god's got you know, you use the word disproportionately 
invest. I would like to put another spin on that. Yeah, go. Because to turn a nation, you've got to take the next generation. Political mm -hmm. systems know it, other religions know it, and they invest in the in the emerging generation. It happens in the it's happening right across the world in the education system. It, it's it's happening everywhere that their big focus is the emerging generation. So maybe we have to invest proportionately to mm. what they're doing. Yes. Not, not even weigh it up against what most churches do, but we, we have to be on a, a greater attack and, and a greater battle than is going on in the world and other religions around us. So Yeah, I, I, def, I do agree with that. I think, I mean, you'll understand the challenge, the leadership challenge of this is to shift that mindset in the rest of the church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I can remember, you know, when, when we were looking to recruit someone who would work alongside us more full time in all of the various things that we were running. Um, and I remember a, a guy in his 60s saying to me, well, can we not have an over 30s pastor? Can we not have an over, you know, uh, and I was like, well, what do you think the rest of us are doing? Like, you know, we've got, like, you know, the, the church has so much resource and so much time and energy invested in it. Like, we, we need to be spending more time, energy and money on, you know. So I would agree with you. Ultimately, it is proportionate. Um, but, um, but sometimes you have to use different language to help people start to think differently. Well, that, as you know, is our mission worldwide, that to change the mindset and to change the culture of the churches, which we are seeing amazing results, just amazing results. Because at the end of the day, this isn't a bright idea. This is a biblical mandate. And it's from Genesis to Revelation. And when we go to churches, we're just Bible, 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 and people weep, don't they? They weep, pastors and leaders weep. And so I'm not letting people off exactly, but if the generational doctrine has disappeared from the church, which it has, I mean, we have been to over 40 nations and no one has heard our message before, literally. So if the doctrine has disappeared from the church, I'm not surprised that people don't get it. I'm not letting people off, but if it's not preached as a doctrine, not a bright idea, then they won't get it, and I, and I quite understand them not doing it. Now, you mentioned a word in relation to um, the children and youth work, which, again, is not often mentioned. You use the word disciple. Mm. Uh, I see a lot of that mentioned amongst adults, but I don't see it used with the emerging generation. Can you talk to us a bit about why you use that word disciple in relation to them? Yeah, I mean, I, I use it in relation to them because that's the call of every single boy, girl, man, woman on the mm. planet. Our whole reason for being is to know Christ and become like him. I mean, our ultimate you know, destination in new creation is we will be like him because we will see him face to face. You know, that this is our whole reason for being. And, and you know, we only experience true life in him, through him, for him. And so, you know, when we look, you know, the wonder of of Jesus is that, you know, even when we look at his his own life and ministry, that like he he chooses people that everyone thinks are unchoosable. And he's inviting them to become like him, 
you know, to think like he thinks, feels what he feels, do what he does. And I think, you know, that that is the mandate on all of us, that Jesus is not about decisions, he's about disciples. And and I'm and I'm I'm really exercised even in my evangelism when I go and you know as an evangelist go and speak in other places and all you know and 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 want to create spaces for people to make a response to Jesus. But at the end of the day, as I said, Jesus is after disciples, people who are becoming like him in the power of the Spirit, not just a decision. And I think I think many of the challenges we face in in all of the churches, and and it can it can definitely be true in youth ministry if we're not providing enough challenge and stretch for young people, is essentially we become fans, not followers. You know, we like Jesus, like he's great. You know, when life's going hard, we're gonna you know we're gonna pray our prayers, and when it's going good, we kind of forget. But actually, we're not called to be fans. We're called to be followers. We're called to be becoming like Him. And I remember years ago, a, a church leader over from the state saying, "You know, the the reason that we see so many children and young people leaving the church is not because we've made it too hard for them, but we've made it too easy for them. We're not hauling them up to this." You know, and, and we, we shouldn't even have to use the word radical, like radical Christianity, like Christianity in its truest form is radical. It's risk embracing, water walking, world changing. That's what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But we use those more provocative bits of language because we're trying to remind people this is what it's supposed to be about. And that begins now. You know, I'm, I'm always struck with, you know, if Josiah can become the king of Judah at age eight, then why aren't we calling up, you know, mm -hmm. eight-year-olds to be the prince and princesses of their corridors and classrooms and communities like right now? Why are we not helping them and equipping them to reach their friends, to pray for people, to realize that they can do something which is much more than the tokenistic, you know, let's get the kids to take the offering on a Sunday. But, but actually, you know, I, I don't think kids can do marriage counselling. I don't think they're ready for that. I don't think they're prepared <laughs> to do that. You know, so there, there are some things in the life of the church and outside of the church that probably are off limits to them in terms of their age and stage yeah. and emotional mental development, but not much, but not much. Mm. And, and I think, you know, we need to be calling them up to come on, what, what does it mean if Jesus, because this is what it means to be a disciple, if Jesus was literally inhabiting your body and he was living your life with your mix of skills and passions and your circumstances, what would he think? What would he do? How would he speak? Like embrace that, not in your own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what we want to call a generation up to. We went to a home last night, um, somebody's a church planter really, and we walked in and the children came running up and gave us hugs and hello. And the seven-year-old boy, he, he told me to come and sit on the sofa. So I thought, oh, you know, just want some attention. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, do you know Jesus? Now, wow. I have not been asked that question. I, I have no memory of anybody say asking me that question. And and I so I didn't just give it the quick yes because I wanted to see where it was going to go. I said, "Well, why do you ask me if I, if I know mm -hmm. Jesus?" And Matt, that child took me from creation right the way through, talked about the virgin birth. He took and and it was it was really powerful, but every now and then he forgot 
forgot that I might not know and would ask me a question. And he took me right the way through to the, the coming of Jesus. And he said, and Daphne, he's coming on a white horse. And then he would say, where did he get, where do you think he got the horse from? And, and then, then I would ask that question. Then he'd go on and tell me, that child took me from Genesis to Revelation and just checking out that I really knew Jesus. It wow. wasn't because there was a program. It wasn't because mm. he'd been set a task. It was because it was in him and it was a lifestyle to We're check out. We were just there for dinger. We were just out. there for dinner. And his parents say he does that with everybody, whether it's a school teacher or who it is, he wants to check. But he had no. parents that encouraged him to be the evangelist that he obviously is. And they didn't say, yeah. oh, you're only seven, you're only six. Yeah. They, they have equipped him. So I think that is the sort of thing you're talking about when you say that they need releasing. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, very much so. There's, there was a book I read a few years ago called Do the Hard Things, some guys over in the States, which again was, you know, is the call to young people. It's, it's written for young people. We, we used it a few years back with our, with our youth group, and it's just saying, come on, we, we must be calling the rising generation up to more than just making their bed every day, as if that is a great sense of achievement, you know. That there must be a sense of do the hard things, you know, just come on, go for it. Mm. Yeah, the, the world gives great responsibility to the next generation. Um, and like you said, in the church, we, we don't really give the next generation much responsibility. There's not a lot of challenge. Can you maybe talk a bit about what that looks like uh, with Zero Church mm. and, and how you do that? Uh, there may be, you know, pastors listening that, um, you know, they're like, well, we, this sounds good, but, but how yeah. do we do that? We live in this very difficult, challenging world right now. How do you empower young people to be voices in a world which is trying to cancel everyone and all this kind of stuff. So could you maybe talk a bit about all of that? Yeah, great question. So I guess, I mean, the first thing I say is this is not easy. Uh, it's not easy in terms of it demands a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of intentionality. And um, yeah, I mean, people are people whatever age, but you know, we know that Jesus' disciples drove him nuts from time to time. And so we should expect the same thing. And, you know, having 34 years of working with young people, it's very frustrating at times, <laughs> you know, going back, going forward, giving up, bailing out, all of that kind of stuff. But if it happened to Jesus, it should have happened to us. So I want to be realistic. This is not easy. And it does demand a, a sacrifice and an intentionality and a planning and not doing something so that you can do other things. So I would say how it's playing out for us right now is, you know, we look at all of the, the children, and young people connected into our church. And, um, you know, obviously there are various programs and things that we're running. We are, um, but we are, we are endeavoring to encourage as many of them as a starting point to play an active role in the life of the church themselves, um, which could be anything. So it could be helping in the kids' work, helping in the youth work, being on the host team, um, praying for people. And in fact, online church has been a massive blessing for us. Uh, and it's really exciting for us that like when, when we, uh, originally we were doing online church in, in literally in our house in this room, just my wife and I, and then we moved it into our building. And, uh, and our whole online church on a Sunday, pretty much the whole team who were filming, editing, mixing, speaking, leading prayers. It's almost all young people who are doing that. 
And the thrill for me in that has been seeing, I remember, you know, in March last year when we started to do that and some of our adult team were training young people to do certain things, you know, either technical things or how to lead a prayer moment or, or what have you. Um, and then and they would start doing those things and then new young people would come and those young people would then teach others to do the same thing and to see this baton passing thing take over. And so which really created a sense of kind of ownership in the life of the church. Now that, so that's a starting point about um, wanting the young people to feel like this, this is your church family. Like we're all in this together. We all serve and we don't want you to take the offering. In fact, I'm never going to get any young people to take the offering in our church, but find your place. What do you love to do? What's the gifting? What's your passion? And let's see opportunity. So we have an intentional thing. Like, I mean, every month we're looking, okay, how many young people have we got serving in the life of the church? Who's not? How do we encourage, recognize their gifting, cheer them on, give them opportunities. Mm -hmm. So that's within the life of the church and there's training and coaching that we provide to do that. But as I said, it takes time, you know, to do that. Um, as I said, we've got, like most churches, we've got our, you know, our various youth programs and kids programs and things, you know, so, so there are those spaces. Um, but then I said, we are running this monthly um, leadership and discipleship program called Firetrack. And, and so we have about 35 young people on that. And we come together and we have a meal. And what Firetrack is seeking to do is be a safe space where firstly, they can bring their own questions around faith and their doubts and their struggles. So we wanna provide a safe place where they can process some of that stuff, but, but then start month on month giving them faith stretches. And so some teaching, some praying, um, and, and each month basically grow their little stretch. Okay. This month, guys, when you're out, here's something we want to, you'd have a go at doing. And then, you know, we, they're all in small groups. And so they kind of come together next time. And so, so we're on this journey. We've only had, uh, three, three, four so far, uh, cause it, it began in September. So we're trying to create this space where we can just really enjoy eating together and friendship and community, and then in different age groups, grow them. And, and stretch them and teach them and 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 but create a space where they can deal with some of their doubts. So that's another thing we're doing. Mm. The real challenge is, and I know you you guys know this for all churches, and we have the same. So I said to you, you know, I, I've got some young people that I'm intentionally meeting with and spending time with, talk about life, faith, you know, in either in little groups of two or three, or where I know the family really well you know, meeting a young person in a, in a safe, safeguarding space and stuff. Um, and we have some adults who are doing that as well, you know, in terms of coming alongside young people and children and doing that. Um, but, but we need a greater culture shift in that as does most of the church of, you know, we would want every single child and young person in our church involved in some very small group you know, two or three intentional discipleship thing with with an older leader. Now that could be a fifteen year old working with some eight year olds or what have you. And so there's a there's a shift that we're looking at about how do we see that happen? Because you know, e even in our fire track thing, you know that so, you know some of the lads over the years, and again, I've been doing this with young people for for quite a long time now. That like these one on ones or small group things, they're never going to mention their addiction issue in a group of eight young people they're just not going to do it like you know they need a much 
smaller safe place where they can do it and you can challenge them and, and stretch them mm. and so, so 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 those are the flavors of some of the things that we're we're having to go at and um and it's not easy and uh, and the, and you guys will know again the the pull on our young people today is huge the pull on their time the pull on their mind and um you know provocatively mm. sometimes i say to our young people and even their parents like get a C in your A levels and get an A in following Jesus. Like, like seriously, you know, like your exams are important. I'm not saying your exams aren't important, but if your exams are, if you're so consumed on your exams, it's hijacking all of your time that you're not getting closer to Jesus and embracing your mission, his mission and, and, and having time with others to grow your faith, then, then actually in the long run, the priorities are wrong. Yeah. I mean, from, personal experience uh, and this is comes out of who i am but i believe it's for everybody th there is no greater joy that, mm -hmm. than to have the next generation in my life um and i have many many all over the world who i have just spent quality time with on an occasional basis but it's, it's been dependable um, yeah. from childhood and they're still in my lives as now as in the thirties, and they yeah. still would die for me. I mean, they yeah. just will. And I think the concept of discipleship being a lifetime commitment, and and I encourage people: you start with childhood, and you just you just keep going because you will have their heart forever that way, totally yeah. forever. And of course, there's one aspect that you haven't mentioned yet, and yet I know you totally believing in this whole discipleship thing and that is that parents need to be raising timothys yes um yeah and and i think and, and again we talk a lot about this you know in our conferences but um one of the problems is and i'm just poking a bit here that while church leaders believe in parents discipling their children there is nowhere Nowhere in most churches where that is lived out. The church just separates families and then says, now go home and do something different. Where, whereas it's what we live that's the biggest message, not our words. Um, and so it, it, the fact that parents are, when they have that child, Mm -hmm. have the responsibility of discipling them all the days of their life really is a big missing element in churches would you agree a hundred percent no definitely so and i and i think and it's a problem with churches like our churches you know you know relatively large churches who who will you know with growing youth work and children's work will you know employ someone to kind of oversee and develop some of that stuff um because because then even more so and it's bad enough even with volunteer stuff then then parents can just either consciously or subconsciously okay i have delegated the discipleship of my kids to someone else mm -hmm. and um you know and that's what happens on a sunday and and i i think you're absolutely right you know the primary responsibility for the discipleship of kids is 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 with the parents as with the family. There's there's absolutely no doubt about that. And then the wider community. Again, I mentioned to you earlier Judges two verse ten, which for me is the is the problem. A generation that don't know God. Psalm seventy eight. 
is the vision of God to see that changed. And for me, the third piece of the pie is Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five to nine, the Jewish Shema, you know, and, you know, and we know that this God is speaking through Moses to, to the generations who are going to go into the promised land. And, and that's what the book of Deuteronomy is, as you know. And so I always, I talk to churches about this and, and, and I've talked to my own church about this in the past, you know, and ask the question, okay, who is God speaking to when he says, you know, that, you know, we will impress these words upon our children, you know, bind them on our gates and on our heads and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and of course, the answer is everyone. He's speaking to everyone. There's no such thing as a youth leader. There's no such thing as a children's leader. He's not just speaking to the Levites. He's not speaking to just Moses and Joshua and Caleb. He's talking to the whole community of faith. And obviously everyone knew that the first responsibility would sit within the parents. But of course, you know, in, in again, you guys will know better than me. Hebrew culture is not like, you know, the micro family, you know, it's it's like we're all in this together, you know. And so so I think there is a massive rethinking both about first and foremost, it's the parents' responsibility and they need vision and equipping for that. But actually it's everyone's responsibility. Like, you know, whether you're 90 or, and if you think, oh, no, my main ministry is here on the host team or whatever. But actually, we all, I believe, biblically have a responsibility to the rising generation. And, um, you know, we're mindful that even some of the models we have can challenge against that. So, for example, we're, we're on, we're just about to launch in two weeks' time, the second time we've run it, a, a course called Parenting for Faith where we're inviting parents into, I think it's a six week course to, to, to envision and equip them to disciple their kids, to basically say, look, this is your job. And, and then alongside that, looking to provide tools and resources that people can use in the home so that parents recognize, look, again, this is your job. And, and it's not just a job, it's a privilege that you get to do this. And, um, and so I, I, I agree, you know, I feel like in Zio we're making some steps but again we, we've got a way to go and i think the interesting thing for us is we celebrated our 40th year last year as a church and and you'll know the number 40 in scripture is always significant it's always represents transition and we we really believe that god was saying to us he's going to reboot zeo and so we feel like we're in a massive shaking over the next two to five to ten years about what church is going to look like for us um in terms of being a disciple-making movement. Well, you're called Zio, which I think we were there when you announced that to the church, which is passion. You know, one of the things that we say in our conferences, every parent knows how to disciple their children. Yes. God doesn't ask you to do something you don't know how to do. He doesn't say do it if you were discipled. He doesn't. And we say to them this, you show me one father who went to excuse me, a course or a class to learn how to disciple their child in football. Show mm -hmm. me one. They yeah, know, yeah. and yet their children, we, we ask pastors, put your hand up if your children follow the same football team as you. And they were all putting their hands up. We said, who taught you? Nobody did. And we point out that you disciple your children out of passion, what mm. you are passionate about, you will disciple your children in, whether it's education, whether it's sport, whether it's music. Where your passion is, you will disciple your children. 
And what does it say in Deuteronomy? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your strength. Translate, passion. Yeah, yeah. And the result is... You will talk about it when you get up, when you walk along the road. Sure. You'll put the post, the sure. posters up and you'll put the T-shirts on and everything else, which is what you do with football because you're yeah. passionate about it. And so we have come to the sobering conclusion. It's not that they don't know how to do it because they do. They're doing it in other areas. But do we have a generation of parents who've lost their passion for Jesus? Because I have yet to see a parent who's passionate about Jesus who's not discipling their children, because I believe God put that in us, and that was his mandate. Love me, passionately. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good challenge. The result is you will have a lifestyle of discipleship. So I find this a very sobering very sobering because I think it's far deeper than not knowing it's about Lou, where's your passion for Jesus and then of course okay. with, with Timothy we also say well he was a strong disciple young man his family had done a great job why did he need yeah. Paul I mean why did he need Paul yeah. and yeah. Paul made an input in his life into things something his parents couldn't do he discipled him in the apostolic ministry and so we point out oh, there's geez. a role for the church and, the, and there is a yeah. role for parents, but they are two different ones. And sadly, yeah. I think we've got it all muddled up. Anyway, there's my little preach for the moment. No, I'm with you. It's good. Yeah, it always challenges me. We've got more work to do for sure. <laughs> it's just, it's just. Sometimes you see churches um, that they are really focused on the young people and they neglect the older generations. Do you know what? We are a young people's church. This is who we're going after. Um, and often you don't see many of the white-haired people around. Because mm -hmm. um, they dye their hairs these days, Andrew. <laughs> I think older people dye their hair blue, don't they? Something like that. But that's anyway, why you're not seeing the white hair. Probably. I feel like we might be going off track slightly. Yeah, I probably here. need to do that myself. Can you talk a bit about what what are maybe some of the dangers you see of churches which are so focused on young people that they neglect older generations, they don't really have them represented in the church? Um, why is it important that we do have older generations there to input into the younger people? Yeah, that, again, that is a very good question. I mean, I think... Um, the the older I get, sounding like an old man, the, the the more I'm aware of the need to live with what can be contradiction or paradox. You know, two things that seem opposite with each other. So so like saying, you know, we will disproportionately or proportionately invest time and energy in the rising generations, and yet we are passionate about every age group coming to know Jesus. Now those things are absolutely true. They're both true, and if you come to Zio you will look around the room and actually not to see, you know, different age groups, but you'll see different ethnicities and like, you know, because, because actually we're supposed to be a family and we're supposed to be a multi-generational family. And, and every generation, I believe, has something to impart and every generation has something to give. 
And, and so if we don't have 70 year olds connecting with 12 year olds, we're missing something because there's, there's something that, you know, the, the older generation, you know, has to bring in the same way. I mean, I remember years ago, someone saying to me that like healthy youth ministry has wisdom and energy. So it's great to have the energy of a 20 something who's, you know, involved in the youth ministry and stuff, but it's great to have the wisdom of people who are older. And it's that wisdom and energy that's coming together in terms of the richness of, of family. And so, so I think, um, you know, we're called to be the family of God. We're called to be a multi-generational family of God. Every generation has responsibility, something to bring. And so, um, so whilst even in the language that I've used, you know, we're not a hundred percent, everything we're doing is, you know, we're not a youth church. We, our goal is not to be a youth church. There are some things that we do, not all things, but there are some things that we do that will connect better with young people than they will seniors. And, and, and we create other spaces where our seniors can feel, oh, this feels, you know, good for us. But they recognize when we come together for a family gathering, it's a little bit like my dad put it in a great way. You know, he was the leader of the church where he said, you know, like when, when any family gathers, like Christmas Day, every family gathers and you've got a multi-generation, you've got grandparents and, and parents and kids and sometimes grandkids, you've got all these together. What happens typically is you're all bundling together in the front room and and usually a family will lean in to the kids. We would just, you know, like we, we will want the kids to feel loved and accepted and we're interested in what they're doing. We'll want to play with their games and all those kind of things. We, we will do things that maybe we wouldn't do because we just, we just want to love the kids and we're old enough to be able to do that. Whereas they're not old enough to be able to do things our way. And, uh, and I remember dad saying, it's the same in the church, like, you know, that like the church should be willing to adapt because the rising generation may not have all of them, the, you know, maturity and the, um, all the things in, in order to do what adults want to do. And so we should be willing to kneel down and go low. I mean, after all that Jesus said, like we needed a, not a childish, but a childlike faith. And so, so I think we've got to be willing to adapt and yet still ensure that every generation feels valued, appreciated and engaged. And so I just think, you know, on one sense, I want to say it's attention. I don't feel it's attention, but it can feel like a contradiction. But, but I think by God's grace, we manage it now and again, we'll get a comment like the one I said earlier, where, where, you know, someone who's now left the church just said, like, you're fo so focused on youth, you don't care about people older. And, and I think the, the evidence is that is clearly not the case in terms of our commitment to every generation and what we do, you know, for, for all people, you know, I mean, we're passionate about community transformation. We're helping people get out of debt and get into work and build life skills, all of those things. We're trying to embrace the shalom of the gospel. You know, God is good news to the whole person of every age, every background. End of preach. There is a biblical role um, for the older people too, in uh, the in Timothy it says, uh, was it Titus? Timothy, Titus, the older women with the younger women, and the mm. older men with the younger men. And Absolutely. again, there is a separation. You know, we say that that there is a generation of young men 
fatherless, they shouldn't be because the older men should be there. As you know, Daniela, my daughter, she um, focuses on anti-human trafficking and she uses, obviously, this generation message is in her DNA. And she said, the problem is we have a generation of young men with no self-control. And yet, biblically, it's the older men should be mm. raising the younger men in self-control. The older women teaching the younger women purity. And there should be no struggling young women in the church because the older women are there for them. So there is, yes. you know, if you put aside the children and young people, there is a generational role that often I find departments have taken over where God gave a mandate. So you, I think, you know, if you've got these young couples who married or etc why don't we have these 70 80 year olds who've lived a successful married life why are they not discipling these young mm -hmm. ones instead of sending them to a class so i yeah. think that that breakdown generationally even has happened at that level where we've become so peer oriented um we asked a group recently in brazil and these were sort of young adults um mostly and we mm. said to how many of you would like an older person to invest in you and be your friend even to the elderly and i think at the but, room full, but 98 percent 98 percent put their hands up i believe it yeah, yeah and and so this whole breakdown in god's mandate through the generations as we see it, we are in danger of the Malachi 4, 5, and 6 danger where the Bible says he will strike the land with a curse if we don't restore this generational flow to the church. And, and sadly, that curse is on the nations, and, and we see it. But the good news... The good news is before the great and terrible day of the Lord, so we have to decide is that where we're at or not, he's going to send the spirit of Elijah... And he's yeah. going to restore through the generations. So when people say to us, don't you get discouraged, keep going from church to church and seeing it down, break down, we go, no, because he has promised that he is going to do that restoration and we're just going to get to ride the tide of it. Matt, yeah. as, we, um, as we come to the end, um, can you maybe just share a bit about um, the days that we're living in right now? Hmm. Um, and the years which are ahead of us, they're getting increasingly difficult. Um, what do you see as the, why is it important that everyone catches this importance of seeing this next generation raised and prepared and equipped for the days that we're living in now, but also the years which are ahead? Why is it important that we all grasp this? So I would say the, maybe like never before or if not if this has happened before um not for a long time like we are living in a in a moment in history where i would say the message of our culture particularly western but but it's not just limited to western because of social media and the internet all that kind of stuff of of what i would call rampant individualism where the message of the culture is you be whoever you want to be 
and therefore do whatever you want to do. You identify yourself however you are to identify yourself. You, know, you, you be like the person who knows, knows best is you. You're, it's, it's, the, it's the outworking of consumerism. It goes right back to Genesis 3, you know, where, when Satan's tempting Adam and Eve to basically say, look, be your own God. You decide. You, you decide right and wrong. You figure it all out for yourself. And of course, social media has just amplified that more than anything else. Absolutely amplified. And of course, to to the world around them, particularly to young people who are trying to form their view of themselves, the world, you know, their brain is literally going through this incredible development from about 10 to 19. That message actually sounds liberating, doesn't it? It sounds fantastic. Like, be whoever you want to be. It sounds what... The problem is it's fundamentally flawed and utterly toxic because none of us are smart enough, none of us are clever enough, none of us are perfect enough to actually get that right. And we don't and we don't have the power, you know, it's the it's the fallenness of our whole identity. And Jesus comes and he cuts across all that and says, Don't be whoever you want to be, don't do whatever you want to do, become like me. Follow me. Embrace my way of life. You know, accept, you know, the price that I paid, my debt, my life, death, resurrection that paid the price for you to be forgiven, restored into relationship with God, both now and all eternity. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, spend the rest of your earthly life becoming more like me, free from everything that holds you back, free for all the good things that God's got for you. Th- that message is so countercultural and and mm-hmm. and offensive in, in the kind of culture today. But unless we we get that message through love and discipleship, and what you know, not as a one-off, you know, but generally doing life. I love what Paul talks about in First Thessalonians two eight when he says to the church in Thessalonica, "We loved you so much. We didn't just give you the gospel. We gave you our lives. Mm-hmm. We walk with you. We weep with you. We talk with you. We wrestle with you. We we." We, we ask questions together. We explore our doubts together. We're in this together, this journey of faith. We're never going to let you go. We're with you. We love you, whatever you decide. And it's in that place of love and safety that we can discover Jesus' way of doing things. Like, that's why it's so impressive, you know, this message, because if, if our, the rising generation, and we're seeing the fruits of it already now, you know, continue to p- pursue that message, which sounds so liberating, I mean, I am genuinely terrified for the generation who aren't even born yet, what they're mm-hmm. going to inherit. Um, you know, and it's interesting, a friend of mine called Patrick Dixon, who's a Christian futurist, he, he looks, um, you know, you who know, looks at, you know, history and, and stuff. And he talks about if you look through human history, what you find is the, the moral pendulum swings constantly. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, but it basically swings and there's, and, and we're seeing it swing, like, so, you know, to such a degree that there's got to be a point, one would hope, please God, where people say, oh, we've gone way too far. Mm-hmm. And and I can see a point in 20 years' time where, where grown-up children are suing their parents and suing medical authorities and things because of decisions they made in their childhood, embracing this cultural mandate where they really had not a clue what they were doing. And uh, and so there is an urgency on coming alongside them, loving them and leading them into truth. Mm. Matt, we've given a lot of people a lot to think about. 
And uh, th yeah, there's so much people could take away from this. Really challenge people. Listen to this last part that Matt, Matt just uh, talked about and um, really take that on board. Uh, these days are serious. Uh, they're challenging. They're going to get more challenging. Um, but we need each generation to be walking together to be able to make it through this. Um, so thank you, Matt. We really appreciate you. Uh, we love you, our friendship. Uh, so thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Pleasure. It's been great to see you guys. Love you. Cheering you on always. Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or another podcast platform.